beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, some commentaries believe this was actually on Sunday, uh, would be the Sabbath day, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, there they made a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him that would be Jesus. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. As we continue our ascent, as we continue to ascend to that place where God wants us both in his presence and even into our community, I want to preach to you today about a subject that is incredibly dear to my heart. I could preach this virtually every Sunday if I could. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning just simply the place and posture of worship. The place and posture of worship. It's very rare that I do this, but I would like to give my message today a tagline that just simply says, the sacrifice that is worship. The sacrifice that is worship. Everybody say thank God for the word. Look at your neighbor and tell him I'm going to help the preacher. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to bear my heart today to all of you. Uh, It's amazing here at Grace Church when you look at the cross-section of people. There's people here today from all manner of background, uh, religious background, domestic background, Uh, secular background, and so on. We all come from different places. And it's interesting to me that how many people got up this morning, got dressed, and said, I'm going to worship today at Grace Church. We appreciate you being here, everybody in the building. We are thankful that you are here. But as far as you're coming to Grace Church this morning, I'm sure... If we were all asked the question as to why are you here, you'd probably say, well, I've come to worship the Lord. I want to come and be in the presence of the Lord this morning. I hope that's that's why you're here. But in speaking on the subject of worship, that being hopefully the reason that we're all here, I think sometimes there's a lot of misconceptions about what worship is, what the presence of God demands through the conduit of worship, as often as we hear it preached and taught on. Worship is a a vast subject. When the praise team was singing this morning, uh, the, the very first song they opened with, and to be honest with you, it was the first time I've heard that song, But it talked about the kingdom of God being here and so on. Uh, I was thinking about it, and then a few minutes later, Brother Merrill leaned over and said, you know what, it's going to be an awesome day when when that day actually arrives, that we're all in eternity. 
no longer in flesh, no longer in bound by human perspectives and thoughts, and that finally we can see him as he is, as the epistle John proclaims. Don't know what it shall be, but we do know that when we see him, we shall see him as he is. John does an amazing job in the book of Revelation. I cannot imagine the responsibility that was laid upon his shoulders to write the book of Revelation. Trying to explain in even Greek, the Greek language, uh, what he was seeing. But he did describe in the latter part of Revelation on a couple of occasions that moment when we see him as to what our response would be to him. And I believe it's going to be that moment that we will truly for the first time experience what true worship really is when you see him as he is. Praise the Lord. There won't be any human factor there, I promise you. It's going to be all divine in that moment. Praise the Lord. But one man gives to us an example, or excuse me, an explanation of biblical worship. He said that worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. Worship is the submission of all of our nature, not part of it, all of it, to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness. It is the nourishment of our mind with His truth. It is the purifying of our imagination by His beauty. It is the opening of the heart to His love. It is the surrender of our will to His purpose. All of this gathered up in adoration. John MacArthur says in his book, The Ultimate Priority, he said the crucial factor in worship in the church is not the form of worship. It's not the form of worship, but the state of the heart of the saint. If our corporate worship isn't the expression of our individual worshiping lives, then it's not acceptable worship. If you think you can live, he said, any way you want to, and then go to church on Sunday morning and turn on worship with the saints, then you're wrong. So what is your view of worship, he asked. Is worship what happens in church on Sunday? Do you identify it with an emotional experience, spiritual thoughts, or maybe performing certain traditional rituals. The fact is, true worship is not defined by a place or a feeling or a ritual. God set the standard for worship in His Word, and the standard is much higher and more rewarding than most of us ever imagined. And I totally concur with MacArthur's remarks. I would like to take a look at an act of worship. I would like for us to look for a few moments this morning at an act of worship in the life of Lazarus' sister, Mary. In John chapter 11, I want everybody to get your head around this to the best of your ability. In John chapter 11, 
we find one of the most amazing miracles that occurred during Jesus' time on this earth. Word had been sent to Jesus, as we all know, that his beloved friend Lazarus was sick. Jesus had a purpose and a plan. And as a result, Jesus delayed his response until after Lazarus had died. When Jesus finally arrived at Bethany, he was confronted by Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. These ladies were completely devastated, and their heart was filled with unimaginable sorrow. Jesus finally said, after listening to their bereavement and expression of grief, he said, take me to the place where Lazarus lay. Take me to his tomb. Once Jesus arrived and the stone was rolled away, Jesus spoke these simple words that only eternity could bear the power of it. When he looked into the darkened door of that tomb and spoke with unimaginable and unfathomable divine authority and said, Lazarus, come forth. I'll never forget hearing a number of years ago, somebody said one time, had Jesus not specifically said, Lazarus, then every dead person on the planet would have come back to life. He had to call Lazarus by name to prevent raising everyone from the dead. Lazarus came out of that tomb alive. Here's where it gets tricky, Brother Merrill. I don't think we can fully grasp the awe, the shock, the bewilderment of that moment. If I can just stop here in passing, and I'm going I'm to try to, to stay with my notes so we can dismiss here in a little while. But my heart's full this morning. I remember, Sister Sheila, when your dad passed away, we waked him at the church that night. And uh, I took the last shift of that watch from 6 in the morning to 9 in the morning. And so I got up at about 5 o'clock and got ready. And I went by McDonald's and bought some breakfast and a cup of coffee and took it up to the church and bought me a newspaper and sat for three hours until the family started arriving that morning. Somebody asked me, said, weren't you scared to be in the building with Brother Hicks laying out there in a, a casket, excuse my irreverence, but I said, no. They said, well, what if he had come back to life? So that'd been the most awesome thing that could ever happen. I'd have a good usher back. Sheila would have her daddy back. Her family would be very happy about that. He was a great man and one of the sweetest men that I ever knew. In thinking of that very simple illustration, I cannot fathom. I've never seen a dead person come back to life. But to have someone who was so dear to you, resurrected by someone that you love dearly, that whole scenario, if you will, goes beyond what my mind can comprehend. I cannot imagine 
the joy, the jubilation, when their dead brother came out of that tomb, and the miracle of it is he was completely bound up, literally mummified in grave clothes, and he came out of that tomb, and then Jesus said, y'all unwrap him so he can walk. It's pretty incredible. My eyes would have been as big as sauce, as Bunch and Breeze says, I can tell you that. I don't know what I would say. I don't know what I would do. It would be pretty mind-boggling. Does anybody agree with me on that point? I can guarantee you that Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and anyone else who witnessed that event never forgot that for the rest of their life. No one could deny the divine authority that was illustrated and manifested that day to bring a man out of the tomb that had been dead four days. The four-day thing is important. I don't have time to get into it. So now we arrive in John chapter 12, one chapter later, and we find this beautiful picture of worship that's being offered up to Jesus by Mary. She comes before Jesus. She bows down before him and anoints his feet with a very costly perfume and then wipes his feet with her hair. My question, my question, was Mary worshiping Jesus that day because of what he had done in raising Lazarus from the dead or was she worshiping Jesus that day because of what he had revealed about himself through raising Lazarus from the dead? Until this point, Jesus was a friend. But I have a feeling now Jesus was a God. In Genesis 11, he was a friend. Or excuse me, John 11, he was a friend. But in John 12, he became God. We sing that song, and I love it. What a friend we have in Jesus. I think we ought to change the words and say, what a God we have in Jesus. He's more than a friend. He's more than a friend. So the actions of Mary that day paint a picture of the kind of worship that I believe we should offer up to Jesus today. Gathered in the house of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, Judas Iscariot, and whoever else was there, there were obviously a number of people in the house that day. I'd like to see the back screen if I can. Though there were several followers present, each one of them had different things on their mind. Martha, once again, was concerned with serving Jesus. Wish I had time to jump into this like I want to, but I'll keep moving. It seems that the former dead man found contentment and was enjoying sitting, sitting with Jesus and fellowship. 
Y'all excuse my slang terminology, but the dude had just been resurrected from the dead. Anybody understand that? Hey, Jesus, how's it going, man? That was pretty cool, but what you did for me, how's it been for you, man? Yeah, things are going pretty good, you know. And I don't know. I, 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 there's just something in me, Brother Smith. Uh, if I'd just been resurrected from the dead, I'd just feel kind of, you know, you got to do something here, man. And, whoo, I got to go tell somebody what just happened to me. But this dude thinks I can just sit down anyway. Mary got the point out of all the people that were there. And I'm going to choose to believe today that it was only in her mind that Jesus went from that status of friendship to lordship. And Mary understood this isn't just a man, but sitting in my house today is God Almighty manifest in the flesh. And I've got to do something. Oh, my. So out of all the people that were there, the disciples were listening to Jesus. But Mary chose to offer up some worship. The scene here illustrates a very important fact concerning worship. You can be gathered among other believers. You can even be in the presence of Jesus and still miss out on worship. Worshiping Jesus is not necessarily a corporate event. It's not just because there's a gathering of people, but I believe the sum total of corporate worship is the unifying of individual believers and determining God just went from a place of friendship to lordship in my life and I'm going to worship him because he's God. Hallelujah to God. Notice, now I'm preaching to you the, the place and posture of worship. In this moment of worship, we can see something important about the proper place. The proper place of worship. Everybody say the proper place. Mary was not in a temple. She wasn't in a church or a cathedral. She was in somebody's house, man. The key was not the place where she abode, but rather the fact that she was in the presence of Jesus. The proper place of worship is not in a building. It's not necessarily in your car. It's not necessarily at an altar. The proper place of worship is when you're in the presence of God. And anytime you're in the presence of God, it's time for meaningful worship. So the proper place of worship is in the presence of Jesus. This means that our worship is not limited to a certain time or location. We don't have to bow down facing the east a certain time of the day. We don't have to take a yearly trip to a specific destination. We don't have to enter into a church building in order to worship our Savior. We don't even have to wait till 11 o'clock on Sunday morning to worship Jesus. You worship Jesus every time you're in his presence. 
You can worship God in your car, in a hospital room. You can worship God in a funeral home. You can worship God at work because God is with you every minute of every hour of every day. And where the presence of God is, he's worthy of worship. Somebody shout, yeah! So this illustrates a problem in the lives of many believers because some people fail to worship Jesus on Monday or Tuesday. And if they can make it to church Wednesday night, maybe a little. But usually Thursday or Friday and Saturday is devoid of worship either. Some even take it further than that. They fail to assemble themselves together on Sunday morning. True worship, true worship should occur in the life of a believer every day of your life. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you feel the presence of God, you stop and you worship. I thought that was pretty cool right there. So we are to worship in the presence of Jesus. There are countless reasons that makes Jesus worthy of worship. I think we can sum up the purpose of worship in one phrase. You worship Jesus because of who he is. So consider with me for a moment who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the promised one from God. He is the Christ, the anointed one. He is Jesus, Jehovah Savior. He is Savior, our deliverer. He is Lord, the supreme authority. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the first begotten of the world, the eternal God manifest in flesh, the creator of the universe. Jesus exhibits the glory of the Father. He is the Word made flesh and the sustainer of all things. He is our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and He is worthy of worship because of who He is. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah! Listen to pastor. Listen to pastor. I'm speaking to groups of people in our church. I will reference our traditional core here today. I'll reference our millennials. Millennials are people who were born between 1980 and 2000. Listen to pastor today. The worship of Jesus should not be based on music genre, traditional mandates, or the decor of a church building. The worship of Jesus is based entirely and solely on who he is, period. Not only is he worthy of worship because of who he is, he's also worthy of worship because of what he's done. Now we teach here the difference between praise and worship. Praise, you worship, you, you do that because of what he's done. Worship is something you do because of who he is. But it occurred to me in preparation for this message that Mary had a revelation. 
and her worship of Jesus that day actually could be considered praise because her praise elevated her to a place, praise, place of worship because she realized who the friend was. Oh my. You understand with me today. Not only is he worthy of worship because of who he is, he's also worthy of worship because of what he's done. Because what he does reveals who he is. That's pretty cool right there, ain't it? What he does reveals who he is. So how can you praise God for what he's done but not worship him for who he is? Brother Ben, does that make sense? All right. Because of him, because of him, Every person in this building, when you ask him, he forgives all of your sin. He's rescued us from hell. We are adopted and are now children of God. We have a personal relationship with Him. We are now joint heirs with Christ. We have a promise of eternal life. We have a home in heaven. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that Jesus is worthy of worship because of what He's done. Because what He's done has revealed... I don't want to insinuate that the only reason that Mary was worshiping Jesus was the fact that he had raised her brother from the dead. But I do believe that this may have been one of the motivations for her worship. In the previous chapter, we witnessed the grief and sorrow that Mary possessed. We saw her, she cried in agony over the loss of her brother. But then Jesus showed up and performed a miracle. And now Lazarus is sitting at the table right next to her. Worship reveals a heart of gratitude. Is anybody here thankful? Is anybody here thankful for what God has done in your life? So there's another important factor that's seen in Mary's worship. We see that she gave all she had and she gave the best that she had. Let me tell you something here today. There's a big difference in me taking one of you to McDonald's and say you just order anything you want. You can eat the best of what they have. Or taking you to Ruth's Chris and telling you you can eat whatever you want. And sometimes we show up at church on Sunday morning and we give Jesus everything we have off the McDonald's menu. But when it comes to the Ruth's Chris menu, we want to tell Jesus we can't afford that one. Has anybody got me? This, this business of coming to church, I'm as guilty as anybody. God's really stirred me up with this. Uh, I've, I've studied worship. I, I want to worship. I, I want to know how to worship God. I want to have the right posture. I want to know when and I want to know how and all of that. I want to know that. 
But there's a difference. Come to church on Sunday morning and just because everybody else is doing it. If you ever showed up at church one Sunday and really started thinking about everything he's done, you would clap your hands until they bled. You would dance on your legs till they couldn't hold you up anymore. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, Hallelujah! Thank God. I think somebody ought to stand to your feet and lift up some worship to the one who is worthy. Hallelujah to God. Isn't he worthy? Think about all the times you've been healed. Think about the times you've been forgiven. Think about the time God has provided. Think about the times he's come through for your kids and your marriage, for your parents. When I think of the goodness of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. There's a price for our worship. There's a sacrifice that goes with worship. You don't do it when you feel like it. You do it because he's worthy of it. Woo. My, 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 my. All right. You may be seated. Let's see. This is eight ounces of water. Eight ounces. Does everybody understand that? I remember when Godshaw's was downtown when I was a kid, and you could buy a Coca-Cola in the small bottles for a nickel. I'd beg my mother for a nickel. That was the best Coke you ever put in your mouth, man. It just, well, I think Godshaw's did something to them Cokes. They, they squirted something in it through the lid or something. I don't know what they did. Best Coke on the planet. Those were eight and a half ounces. This is eight ounces. Mary had a box that contained about 12 ounces, probably close to a king-size Coca-Cola. Y'all remember them? You millennials don't remember that. I'm sorry, y'all just drink stuff out of a can. You ain't had a good until it comes out of a glass bottle anyway. But about the size of a king-size Coca-Cola. 12 ounces of ointment or perfume in that box. She broke that box and used this perfume not to anoint the head of Jesus, but his feet because his head wasn't worthy of that perfume. It was made of spikenard. It was incredibly valuable. Spikenard was a very rare plant found only in the country of India. They didn't have UPS back then. It took a while to get it from India to Israel. It was difficult to acquire it, and it was incredibly expensive. In verse, uh, Judas Iscariot addresses the value of it he gave it the appraisal of 300 pennies. 300 pennies. A penny 
was the daily wage of the average worker. So that 12 ounces of perfume, not much bigger than this bottle, 12 ounces of it, cost her 82% of a year's wage. There's folks here today that struggle with giving 10% of your yearly wage. 82% of what you make. You bring it next Sunday and waste it. Y'all don't understand. Let me explain. This perfume was made for the anointing of a dead body. Now, she was doing this against Jesus' burial. It was prophetic. There was an omen attached to it. But I don't know that she understood that. Maybe she did through her revelation of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. But she broke that box of ointment of spikenard on his feet. So if you made $100,000 a year, that bottle of perfume was worth $82,000. 82000 More than what most of you paid for your vehicle. And not too much less than what some of you people paid for your house. Y'all got that in perspective? The most profitable use of that perfume was to anoint a dead body with it. Some commentaries believe Mary bought it for herself so that when she died, her body could be anointed with it. So the most profitable use of that ointment was to anoint a dead body with it. She anointed a live body. So according to Jewish culture and tradition, she wasted it. It's kind of like popping firecrackers on May the 18th. There's nothing going on here, so you're wasting them. We're not alcoholics here, I hope, but it's like opening an expensive bottle of wine and for a frivolous occasion. Y'all get the point? That's why Judas said, why was it wasted? Let me ask you a question this morning when you talk about the price of worship. When we complain about all manner of frivolous things, this woman set a precedent. She set the bar high. How much sacrifice have any of us put behind our worship today? Right now it's convenient, it's comfortable, it's about 72 degrees in here depending on if you're a man or a woman. If you're a woman, it's about 65 degrees in here. If you're a man, it's about 80. Y'all get that? Got a few ladies that are honest. Sitting in nice chairs, your feet are resting on pretty carpet. I think it's pretty. Really don't matter what you think. Anyway, I'm kidding. Doesn't matter what you think. But here we are in comfortable surroundings. The law is even okay with us being here, what we're doing today. Nobody's come in and arrested anybody. And we call it sacrifice. Because we had to get out of an expensive bed this morning and put on expensive clothes and drive a nice comfortable car to church. What a sacrifice. And some of us couldn't even get here at 11. 
Am I meddling now? I love Jesus so much, but he's going to have to wait five minutes on me. Because I'm far more important than he is. Well, Pastor, I can't help it. You need to help it. Jesus is important. His presence is important. And does anybody have something so valuable, something worth so much, that you would use it for a purpose it was never intended for? You would waste it. I've wasted opportunities. I've wasted moments. I've wasted time. I've wasted money. I've wasted all kind of things. But when it comes to worship, nothing is ever a waste. So she broke that box. 82% of a year's wage. This box of perfume was a part of Jewish burial ritual. After a person died, their body would be washed and the ointment would be broken and then applied and so on. No doubt Mary had this in mind as she worshiped Jesus. It wasn't that she was hoping he was dead. It wasn't that she was trying to be prophetic. That's just the most expensive thing she had. Jesus, I would give you my house, but this is worth more. I would give you my car, but this is worth more. She gave it all. She didn't crack it open and pour out a few drops. You have to understand, I'm not trying to belabor the point, but this woman broke that box. She poured it out to such an extent she had nothing to take home with her. She left it all there on his feet. Let me tell you something. Her worship, her worship, traditional Pentecostals, millennials, young marrieds, students, whatever bracket you want to put yourself in, worship was not influenced by her environment, but the environment was changed because of her worship. She broke this box had poured out its contents. She gave it all. She gave it all. Mary's sacrifice cost her something. It cost her the most dear investment, financial investment that she had. It was the ultimate expression of her love and worship to Jesus. And I'm not sure it was because she resurre- he would resurrected her brother, but because of the revelation that came to her because of it. I feel like I'm hitting a brick wall right now. I don't, I don't understand what I'm feeling. I, this isn't hard. I've seen people whose family members have been healed instantly, man. They're not retarded. They're not deformed. They're not dying. God healed them completely but there's a connection that's never made. We are content to live with the Jesus slash friend bracket. Well, my friend did this for me. 
Jesus is the same as somebody taking you out to dinner. I appreciate it. I mean, it was nice, but not really that impactful. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful they took me out to dinner, but you know, it's not that big of a deal, Pastor. Come on, you know, it, they're just friends. And when Jesus swoops into our lives and heals our broken spirit and forgives us of grievous sin, when he steps into our life and heals our body, I want to tell you something. Something should go off in your head, man. This ain't my friend, Jesus. This is my God, Jesus. And if he's your God, then he needs to be worshipped like he's your God. Worship is more than simply attending a church service. It's more than praying and studying together. It's more than sitting back and listening to a sermon. It's more than bowed heads and raised hands. It's more than mumbling through some songs on Sunday morning. Worship is a life that's opened up and poured out to Jesus. Have you come to a place where you've broken your box and poured out everything to Jesus? When you do, then you'll understand true worship. So not only did Mary understand the price of worship, but in that moment of revelation, she grasped the posture of worship. What was Mary's posture or position during this act of worship? She was humbly bowed at the feet of Jesus. In this act of worship, she washed the feet of Jesus This was a task reserved for the servants. No guest in a house, no host or hostess in a house would ever wash the guest's feet that came to their house. That was what servants was for. But Mary took on that role and said, I'm not worthy just to be a friend sitting next to my brother. I'm not worthy to be serving with my sister. The only place I can find myself is prostrate at his feet, giving him the most valuable thing that I own. A posture, worship. I'm going to tell you, we might have a hard time visualizing ever doing this. But when you get to heaven, you'll do it. As a matter of fact, Brother James, the Bible said that every knee shall bow. Everybody's going down in his presence. I'm trying to hurry. I'm out of time already, but I'm trying to hurry. But I'll never forget standing at the Wailing Wall that day in Jerusalem when the man next to me went straight down on his face. He couldn't help it. The presence of God was so powerful at that wall. It's something unlike I've ever felt before in my life before nor since. The man went down. The Jewish rabbis came. The, the uh, traditional uh, Orthodox rabbis came and put their hands under his arms and raised him up to his feet. And they said, you stand in the presence of God in reverence. So to them, their culture changed. Mary thought that pure obeisance and reverence to God was to get on your face at his feet. But the Jewish people believe now you stand in honor. You stand in full attention. And you stand there until your master says you're dismissed. It was an act 
of worship. Mary gave all that she had. And she didn't do this for the benefit of the people who were present. Her worship did not go unnoticed. The Bible said the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. I'm not suggesting that what the others were doing were doing something wrong by not worshiping at this point. We've already seen that worship is a personal thing. But I can't help but think that when the others witnessed this act of worship, knowing why, how can you sit and watch it? and not participate. I like to think this morning that Sister Wanda, you have a a brother, don't you? If he died and four days later Jesus resurrected him from the dead and you and him come to church and buddy, y'all are just into it. Just can't worship God enough. I just can't see myself just sitting here. (laughs) Look at that. Isn't that something? Hey, Brennan, God resurrected her brother from the dead. Isn't that pretty cool right there, ain't it? And just sit there. And then on the other hand, you've got Martha that says to somebody else at the house, Look at Mary. She burns me up. I've got all this stuff to do, and she needs to be in there helping me. I know he raised our brother from the dead, but you've got to move past this kind of moments and get back to work. Does anybody understand me here today? I'm going to use Pastor Murphy terminology, but it's that stupid. It's ignorance. I don't know what else to say. You're going to sit there. You know, if your best friend... We don't play the lottery either. But if your best friend just won that big jackpot of $483 bajillion, and they call you on the phone and say, Man, you're not going to believe I want you to out of the lottery. I'm a millionaire. And you're just going to say, Well, good. I got to go now. I'll talk to you later. I mean, do you buy a new car and bring it to your friend's house, and they just peek through the blinds and say, Huh? Man, did you hear about what happened in China last week? Do we do that? Are we that insensitive? Are we that cold and calloused and so far removed? That when your own family member has been resurrected from the dead, you're more concerned about silverware on the table? As one of my brothers says, sometimes give me a break. There's nothing in your life that trumps worship. Nothing. Nothing more important than worship. Mary's worship might have caused Lazarus to think about, that was being pretty cool for four days. I didn't have to worry about a thing. I didn't have to go to work. didn't have to do nothing, man. God, I hate Jesus resurrected me, actually. I know people that would say that. Maybe Martha was thinking about the sorrow she felt instead of the victory she would be feeling. 
But I do find it interesting that the heart of Judas Iscariot was not impacted by the presence of Jesus, the passion of Mary's worship, nor the act of the miraculous that Jesus performed. Why is there so much waste going on right now? Mary's worship was passionate. It was passionate. She gave everything that she had to Jesus. I'm not finished, but my time has run out. I want to ask you today if if you'll stand with me. Are you willing to come to a place? I know we don't do this physically and literally. But your spirit should say so. Your attitude should say so. Are you willing to bow today at the feet of Jesus? Serve him in whatever capacity is necessary. The Spirit of the Lord just nudge me. Just, just, let me just say, let me tell you about the resurrection of Lazarus. Do you know what Jesus was really saying in that miracle? That wasn't necessarily to make Martha and Mary feel happy. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And anybody that dies in me, I'll resurrect them from the dead. So sitting in this building right now is close to 200 future Lazarus. That if we die before the rapture of the church and you hear that trumpet sound, he's not calling names. He's just going to come summarily say, this will be the first thing you hear after you die is a trumpet ringing in your ear. And when you hear it, your remains is going to be ushered up out of the grave in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. You still content to just sit there? You still content? You still just want Jesus to be your friend? You still want Jesus to lollygag with you through life and you just worship Jesus now and then when you feel like it? I'm going to tell you what. I've got a hope boiling up on the inside of me. You're right, man. One of these days, we're going to see this come to pass. We're going to see it happen. We're going to see it happen. Think about what we've seen already, who Jesus is and what he's done. When you truly comprehend these things and you will be so consumed with gratitude that you'll forget about your pride. You'll forget about your bitterness. You'll forget about the unforgiving spirit. You'll not be concerned with what others think. And you will work for Jesus. You'll witness for Jesus. You'll walk with Jesus. You'll worship Jesus. Mary wasn't intimidated by the miracle Lazarus and the complaining Martha and the bitter, bitter filled Judas. I've come today to worship, and it is not going to be impacted by what anybody else thinks about me. There's a song that we sing around here sometimes. I believe Casey sings it sometimes. I don't know who the writer of it is. I I didn't take the time to look it up. But the first time I heard it, the words just drove me to a place of just, I just wanted to fall down somewhere and just, I didn't even know what to say. God overwhelmed me. But the songwriter said, when the music fades, 
and all is stripped away and I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself. It's not what you've required. You search much deeper within through the ways things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back. May I say, I want to ascend back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you. The song they sang this morning, I told Brother Merrill sitting on the platform, the first line of that song so resonates. It says, your kindness draws me to repentance because God don't force anything out of you. He's incredibly kind. So today in a moment of repentance, I want to tell God to conclude the words of the song. I'm sorry, Lord. For the thing I've made it, worship. Sorry for what I've made it. When it's all about you. There's no better place to abide than worshiping the feet of Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are today. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter about your lifestyle. It doesn't matter where you were last night. Jesus is after one thing and one thing only today. He wants your worship. He wants something valuable out of you. He wants a sacrifice out of you. He wants it to count. He wants it to cost. Because nothing else says love better than that. Because the ultimate way he showed our his love for us is when he laid down his life. He gave it all. He sacrificed it all. And he's worthy of the same from us today. Is there anybody here today? Is there anybody? I would like to think that there's about a half a dozen people in this building saying, I wish he would be quiet right now so I could run down to the front of the church and worship Jesus with all of my heart. I'll be glad when pastor opens up the front. We've got one. We've got at least one that says, I want to worship. Is there somebody else that would join behind Brother Ben and say, I've come to worship because he's been so good to me.